Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. Well, our guest today is somebody that I got to know when I was producing for TNT on the NBA playoffs as a field producer. It's Jared Greenberg, who is a terrific reporter for the NBA on TNT. He's also a host for NBA TV, and he was out here in the Bay Area covering the Warriors-Mavericks game on Tuesday. We had a chance to chat on Thursday about the Warriors and everything NBA. Well, Jared, thank you so much for joining me after covering that Warriors game the other night and then taking a red eye back to the East Coast. Never an easy thing to do, so I appreciate your time today. You got it, man. I'll, I'll wake up early anytime for you, Joe. Fired up to talk with you. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about working with you, believe it or not, is uh, the Zoom calls or even just you know production <laughs> meetings. Now they're Zoom calls because uh, it's really a lot of fun, especially when you have someone like yourself and the producer that we just had, Sean Gerchikoff, being so irreverent with each other. And the crew that we had with Brian Anderson, Stan Van Gundy, and Grant Hill, just a joy to be around. Uh, so it, it just seems like it's genuine that you guys all get along really well. Really is, man. Like I, I, I try and tell people all the time, um, and I don't know if people believe us because um, it, it just doesn't seem real, that the, the Turner Sports family uh, truly is like a family. And, you know, we, we tell everybody all the time, we, we have a, a no-asshole policy at, at Turner. And, <laughs> and, it's you know, it seems legit. Like, people, there's, there's not high-maintenance people. Everybody can bust each other's chops. Um, if, if you have thick skin, then you're going to be picked on even more. <laughs> uh, so, um, I'm sorry, if you have thin skin, you're going to be picked on even more. So, right. you know, it's just, um, you know, you, 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 everybody, everybody takes their, everybody comes to their j- the job prepared and, and takes it seriously, but nobody takes themselves seriously. And it makes, it just makes it really a joy to, to come to work every day. Yeah, I know. I'm glad I don't have thin skin because I showed up at one of the meetings with an old golf cap that was all sweated out, and I, you know, I just, uh, oh, yeah. I totally was going, "What am I doing wearing this thing?" And I walked in there, and you were looking at me like, "What are you crazy, Joe? Why are you wearing that cap? <laughs> Can't you get no, a new I, one?" I, yeah, I hope you burn that one. That was, that was a bad job by you. <laughs> so obviously, you guys have fun uh, while you're doing a lot of work, and I would think that when you cover the Warriors. It's fun because this team, you know, just like your crew, they seem to have a lot of fun together, even when they're facing some adversity, which they recently were. I mean, you know, it's been tough for them with Draymond Green being out, but that was a great game that they played the other day against Dallas. Yeah, I mean, coming coming to San Francisco or or just coming to the Bay in general, I mean, going to Oracle was was one of my favorite spots to go to, and now Chase Center is is just spectacular. And, you know, the Warriors – uh, organization uh, just from from top to bottom is is so first class that it's so fun to cover this team and and they have so much we 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 have mutual respect for each other like we understand what their jobs are and they totally buy into what we come uh, to the arena to do you know anytime we show up to do a TNT game and you know we got to shout out Raymond Ritter who's their their vice president of communications who is literally the, the best PR man in the entire NBA, and everybody knows that. Um, and they just make it so easy, and, and, and they're so welcoming. And then to, to go, like you say, to go out there and watch them play, um, you know, they, they play a style of basketball that 
you know, I don't have any rooting interest in, in the Warriors in particular, but I love to watch them play because of the, the joy that they play the game with and they approach the game. Um, you know, they're committed to playing on the defensive end, which I think most fans are, are appreciative of when they see that because it's not all that uh, often that you see a team that's that committed to defense. And then on the offensive end, they're so selfless, even though they have guys on their team who would have every right to be incredibly selfish. Uh, you know, Steph Curry never stops moving, and that's just so fun to watch because he's probably more dangerous, Joe, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands than when he does have the ball in his hands. And a guy like Clay Thompson finally started to look like himself the other night. Um, and it, I, they're, you know, as you said, they've gone through adversity, but pretty much every team in the league has gone through adversity this year, and I don't know that that, that story is over, you know, whether it's injuries or COVID or other things. It's going to continue. Um, and, and the Warriors, I, I feel like, yes, they've taken a step back in the last couple of weeks, and we'll have to see what happens with Draymond Green. But there's no doubt in my mind they're going to be there at the very end of this season. Yeah, you mentioned that Clay kind of looked like himself again. I'm curious why you thought that was. How did he get to that point? Because it, it seemed like he was forcing things early on yes. in his return. Was that the main key? Yeah, Joe, I, th- I think that's spot on. You know, um, he just he kind of didn't necessarily – listen, we, we know – Clay's never going to be gun-shy, and, and you don't want him to be in terms of shooting the ball. But his ability to move without the basketball, his cutting, screening, his ability to, to find teammates is what has made them so dangerous is that they have such willing passers. You know, when they're at full strength, uh, you know, you, you think of, of Steph and Draymond as the, as the two facilitators of that offense. But Clay is, is, as we saw the other night, as good of a passer as those guys at times, too. So I think, you know, him just putting the immense amount of pressure on himself to come back and automatically, like like he said during his, his rehab time, that he doesn't know how he's going to play overall, but he knows his shot is going to be there. And I think he wanted to prove that, probably first and foremost to himself, those first six games. And finally, the other night, he realized, okay, listen, I don't need to take 20 shots a game right out of the gate. The defense is going to respect me and look at me as a threat. That's going to mean, when I'm on the court with Steph, that guys like Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter and Gary Payton and you know, whoever else is out there with them are going to be open. So let's try and get those guys involved and, and work my way in and, and slowly but surely find my game. And listen, small sample size, you know, we'll have to see what happens, you know, tonight and then again this weekend. But I, I, I feel like Clay Thompson took a huge step in the right direction on Tuesday night. I can't recall him making many behind-the-back passes in his career, and he made three of them the other night. And, and I wondered, when you asked him the question about if he was trying to be like Steph Curry, if you realized that it would elicit such a great answer, to, as he said that, you know, he really was looking like Magic Johnson. Forget about Steph. Yeah. yeah. No, he's great. Like, I, I, one of the things I love about, about the Warriors as a whole, but in particular when I talk to Clay, is – like they're just they're just genuine dudes and they're authentic and you know yeah he was being sarcastic but you know Clay Clay is uh, and, and you got to remember going back to his father you know playing with the Lakers and winning championships a lot of Clay's motivation particularly in the dynasty years with the Warriors and he was very upfront about this was yes he wanted to win championships for himself and and for the Warriors but his his goal for a long time was to be able to say he won more titles than his dad right mm-hmm. and he's done that so. Um, and, and then I think for him, you know, growing up uh, kind of with his father being the, the Lakers broadcaster after his playing days, you know, it was, okay, now i got to catch Kobe, right? So, so that's something he's always idolized those Lakers. Um, and so I, it was hilarious that he said, no, I'll put them like, like magic. But, 
he's just, dude, he's, he is just as authentic and it's just, you know, he just loves hooping and he's just, you know, sometimes he's going to be sarcastic. Sometimes, you know, he's going to be uh, deadpan, but I love it. I, I love talking to him. man. <laughs> You know, sometimes I think fans sort of think that athletes are robots. You know, they're just going to do right. whatever they have been doing. And with Clay, he's coming back from the two injuries. And with Steph, he's in a prolonged slump. I mean, he really hasn't had this happen, especially in recent years. He's just been so great. So the three is not falling for him. What do you think it is? Is it mechanical? Is it mental? What were you able to ascertain about that? Yeah, I think... Listen, I don't want to make any excuses for, for Steph because, you know, he, he I, I think the biggest thing to take away, and we talked about this on the broadcast a little bit on Tuesday night, is that, that he's, he's been so, um, you know, looking like a superhero for so long and didn't look human, that now he just looks human. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's very temporary, but I think it's, it's a combination of a couple of things. He's been playing at such a high level. Like, you could make the argument that last year was literally the, the best year he, he's ever had statistically. Right, and the best year he's ever looked, which is amazing because he, he's won two MVPs, including a unanimous MVP. So the fact that he arguably uh, was better last year, I think, you know, at some point a guy is going to come back down to earth, uh, and maybe we're just seeing that. But then I think when you, you couple in the other things, which I think could be, you know, layered in as excuses, but, but ultimately we've got to look at the circumstances, is number one, he's played a ton of games this year without Draymond Green. And, and, you know, if, if you just look at the box score, you don't necessarily see the value of Draymond Green, but, but Draymond, Draymond's ability to play make and play so selfless is what helps Steph Curry become a two-time MVP and become the greatest shooter of all time. And then the other part of it, you know, is, is like you talked about, the, the pressure of, of the streak, the, the, uh, not the streak, the, the, the record of, of becoming the all-time leader in three-pointers made. Right. He put so much pressure on himself to try and get that done at home that I think he got him out of a little of a, of a rhythm and a funk. Um, because, you know, I, I tell people this all the time about Steph. Like, yes, he is absolutely, without argument, the greatest shooter this game has ever seen. But if you just put him in that box, it is underrating and undervaluing what else he brings to the game. He's not ju- he is the greatest shooter of all time. He's not, just, he's not just, though, the greatest shooter of all time. He's also one of the greatest point guards of all time. His ability to play make, his ability to pass, his ability off the dribble, unbelievable. And as I said earlier to you, Joe, his most dangerous weapon is playing off the ball and how he never stops moving and how he wreaks havoc on defenses because you never know where Steph Curry is going to end up on the court. So I think a lot of what happened in his pursuit of passing Ray Allen was so focused on putting up 13, 14, 15, 16 three pointers a night that it got him away from the other little things that he did that have made him one of the great point guards of all time. And I think now that, that, that Clay's back, and certainly he'll miss Draymond, but if Clay gets back into rhythm, um, I think that you're going to start to see him take a little bit of pressure off himself and get back to playing the way he played last year, which was, again, the best shoot, shooter in the NBA. But a lot of that is predicated on the other things he does, which sets up you know, some of the great looks he gets. Yeah, and I, yeah, he's going to get hot, and I pity the opponents that are going to run into him right. in the near future. Now, with Draymond out, other players obviously have to step it up. It seems like Kevon Looney is one of those guys. I mean, he's really played well defensively, getting a lot of rebounds. But you also need some kind of a presence out there on defense, especially guys who talk. And, you know, it seems like Gary Payton might be that guy. I know he's not a, a starter. He's not on the floor all the time. But right. he's been a real spark plug, hasn't he? 
Yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, he's he's literally the last guy on the roster, and it's crazy how much of an impact he's made. And you know, we had the graphic the other night on TNT of just all the different NBA and G League stops that Gary Payton has had to <laughs> to make along this journey just to get to where he is now and have a guaranteed contract. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people have talked about Gary Payton, particularly because they know the name, right? And and they've seen some of the, um, you know, spectacular defensive plays or strips into a fast break dunk that he's made this year. But but for me, really the the underappreciated story of the Warriors this year is Kevon Looney. Uh, Steph Curry the other day referred to Looney as our unsung hero. Um, you know, the, the little things, as you said, you know, the other night, he had like a, a Dennis Rodman type of night. I don't even think he took a shot from the field. He had zero points, but he had nine rebounds. Um, and uh-huh. I, and you know he's he's he was one rebound away from from getting double digit rebounds for the sixth time in his last seven games. Uh, and then defensively, you know, obviously rebounding is a big part of defense. Uh, but his ability to go out there competently and guard the perimeter on a switch is unbelievable. And we saw it Sunday night uh, against Utah when he got switched on Bogdanovich. Uh, with an opportunity late in the game to make a huge shot, and Bogdanovich got forced into airballing a three as the shot clock expired, uh, and then and then on the next possession, Looney grabs an offensive rebound and gets a putback and an and one, and he made the free throw, and all of that just kind of epitomized and was a microcosm of of what he's been doing this year for this team. And you know, I spoke to Bob Myers, the president of the Warriors, about Looney and about when they, you know, first were looking at him at a UCLA and drafting him in the first round. He goes, honestly, we never looked at him as 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 a five man in the NBA at that time. You know, seven eight years ago, we were looking at him as as a as a four, you know, and hoping he could, you know, develop a little bit of a shot. But but now, because the way the game has changed over the last you know five to six years, Looney has has really looked like the a, a great five man in the NBA. You know, he's he's well undersized, but heck, he can rebound with anybody at, at six eight. And and I think he he is what is is stopping the bleeding right now with both Draymond Green and and James Wiseman out. If they didn't have the production that they were getting out of Looney on a nightly basis, this team would be scrambling by next Thursday's trade deadline to to get a replacement in there and probably having to cough up some some. Uh, critical assets and valuable assets, whether it be future draft picks or having to trade one of these perimeter players and wings that are so valuable to them because they, they would need to get some depth out there in the in the front court. But but now, because of the way Looney's playing, Bob Myers is not in a panic to make a move before next Thursday's trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, they really need Looney to stay healthy. Uh, you know, it's yeah. funny because you think of all the other players, but, you know, he is so valuable Right now, yep. and you know, you talk about his development, and Jordan Poole is another guy who has developed really yep. well. And now you've got Jonathan Kaminga, who's 19 years old, and you saw him really have uh, a game where he goes 22 points against Dallas, sort of, uh, you know, coming out party, if you will, for Kaminga. No, and and some of the plays he made, like he had two dunks that were some of the best dunks we've seen all year. I mean, just explosive. Um, you know, he needs. He needs consistency, and, and in order to get consistency, he needs time and experience, right? It's, there's going to be some growing pains, right? And I think Steve Kerr is going to start to pull his hair out with this guy a little bit, too, because, again, he's 19 years old. And, you know, we'll see what he does tonight and over the weekend, how much run Steve Kerr gives him. Uh, there's going to be moments where he has a, a brain fart on defense or he's not in the right place on offense. And, and you know, that's kind of to be expected, but because of where the Warriors are right now with, with these injuries to Draymond and to, to Wiseman, 
they need they need Kaminga to play some minutes. And and if he could listen, you're not going to expect 22 points and some thunderous dunks every single night. But if but if he can be uh, a plus for them and not a minus, uh, he's going to see some important playoff minutes for a team that expects to win a championship this year. When an assistant coach came out and said that at his highest gear, he could be LeBron James special. I mean, that's really saying something there. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put that on him, but you know, <laughs> I you know, I remember coming into coming into uh, you know a year before the draft, he was right in the conversation to be the number one pick in the draft, and then had a, a bunch of inconsistencies in in the G League bubble where people felt like you know maybe maybe he's not you know, a, a number one or two pick. So he fell to number seven and fell right in the Warriors' lap to the point where, you know, they, they didn't have a choice. They had to take him. You, you couldn't pass up that type of talent and, and have future regret of, of letting that type of guy go. Um, when, when you think about the Warriors and, and the roster makeup now, it's totally changed from a couple of years ago where, you know, they have guys in, in their early to mid-30s on their roster who are, who certainly have a window that is not closed, but closing, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not going to be there forever for these guys, but at the same time, there's so many young players, you know, Kuminga, you mentioned pool, um, Andrew Wiggins and, and um, other guys as well, where, you know, Wiseman obviously that you say the Warriors are not forced into making moves right now to win a championship or to develop young players. Like they have this perfect roster balance that, that they are, are on track right now. And I don't want to, you know, put the cart before the horse here, but they, they could win a championship this year. And, and a lot of the guys who play important minutes on this team, winning a championship this year could be a part of a championship team in, in five or six years on this team as well. That's great to hear out here in the Bay Area. Okay, so you mentioned the trade deadline, which is February the 10th, and there's a lot going on with that. I mean, especially now that we know that James Harden is frustrated uh, and, you know, do they trade him? I mean, there's an opt out there. Tell us the latest and what you think about Harden and even the whole Ben Simmons saga. Yeah, you know, I, I totally buy. Even though James Harden tried to downplay it the other night, I, I totally buy the fact that he's he's frustrated with the situation in in Brooklyn. Um, you know, I can't speak to his. Uh, you know, whether he likes living in Brooklyn or how he feels about New York City, I have no idea about that. Um, but but I can tell you that. You know, he came to Brooklyn for one reason and one reason only is to win a championship. And, and he saw a big three with a really talented supporting cast. And now uh, none of that exists. You know, Kevin Durant's out a, a period of time, which, which could be significant. Kyrie Irving only plays on road games. And the supporting cast is, is not even close, you know, in, in large part due to the fact that Joe Harris, one of the best shooters in the NBA, is out with an injury and, and he could miss more time as well. But, you know, it's just a depleted roster uh, that that right now doesn't, despite the fact that they're still among the top four in the East, doesn't look like they're anywhere near the level of 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 you know a Miami or a Milwaukee and, and Chicago certainly going through a tough time too. But I, I, I'm not saying the Nets can't get it back, but you know the most difficult part of, about basketball, and we talked about this with Jonathan Kaminga, is is consistency and 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 feeling good about yourself, like. Like James Harden knows, and he saw this last year in the playoffs, you can't just play a couple of games here and there with a group of guys and then say once the playoffs come, yeah, we're just going to flip a switch and we'll all be back together and we'll be the best team in the Eastern Conference and compete for a title. Like It, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> like there, there, there's, there's, there's 80, 82 games in the NBA isn't just about selling tickets, right? Like Obviously, that's, that's why the NBA has uh, that many games, but, but for a, a team to build the chemistry 
and consistency needed to know what their identity is and how to play and and, and how to win and, and and what to do to avoid losses. Like that that's that's corporate knowledge that's learned over the course of the season. You know, take them from Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich. Um, and and you know whether KD comes back or whether Kyrie's available. You know, for only half the games in the playoffs, like James Harden, he's the writing on the wall. I, I, quite frankly, I don't I don't blame him right now. Like he's he's in a tough spot. Um, and it's not to say the Nets can't turn it around, but uh, you know, uh, just imagine showing up to work every day and 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 not knowing who your coworkers are going to be, um, and who's going to be there and who's not going to be there. And I, I just think it's a tough spot for him. As far as the the Ben Simmons stuff, I mean, Ben Simmons is a whole separate story. But as far as the Nets go, like people have to remember when 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 you're talking about trade scenarios, you, you got to look at both sides of it. Right. And I I I totally buy the fact that Daryl Morey and the Sixers have interest in James Harden. I just don't see in what world Ben Simmons makes any sort of sense for the Brooklyn Nets. Like, I, I just, you know, I, I know there are executives out there that feel like they can change Ben Simmons and make him into a power forward. And, and I'm, I'm on board with, like, yes, he needs to be more of a power forward. And, again, this is getting deep into the weeds. We can have another conversation. But my point is, is that I don't want to put Ben Simmons on a team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and, and give up James Harden to find out if he's willing and able to play a position that he's never played before in the NBA, right? Like, I just, I'm not, I'm not doing that if I'm Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, sometimes these experiments are good, and many times they are not. I mean, you look at what's going on with the Lakers and the Russell Westbrook experiment, and that has not worked out. And you look at the Lakers being a 500 team, you know, sitting there, I think, tied for eighth right now in the Western Conference standings. Do you still think the Lakers will be heard from? I mean, now they have AD back. Yeah. Yeah, and AD will certainly make a huge, huge uh, difference for them. Um you know, I'm 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 skeptical on the Lakers, but I think the the one thing that that's going to keep the Lakers in the conversation here is the rest of the Western Conference. Like, you know, we for the last you know 15 years we've talked about how superior the West is over the Eastern Conference, and and granted, you know, the best two teams in the league this year have been the Warriors and the Suns, but but other than that, um, I, I just don't see enough depth in the Western Conference to keep the Lakers out of the top six. Um, you know, I don't believe that Minnesota is going to keep up with their doing, which, you know, it, for, for proper perspective, isn't that good. It's just been a little bit better than, than the Lakers playing 500 ball. Um, you know, Dallas is, is, in my mind, played a lot better than they should have been playing. And we'll see what type of moves they make before the deadline to help Luka. Um, and then, you know, I think the big, the big wild card in the Western Conference right now is, is Denver. Um, they may not make any moves, but they may get back, you know, uh, two borderline, you know, all-star type of players in Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. in the coming weeks. So, you know, they're going to be a lot better. But I, I just, you know, don't see there being enough teams to keep the Lakers out of avoiding, uh, you know, having to be in the play-in in, in 7 through 10 in the Western Conference. So, you know, I think it's been a mess, and I think it'll still be a mess. But I, I think that with Anthony Davis back, they're going to win some more games because he's just that good of a player. Um, you know, as long as he, he can stay healthy and stay on the court. But um, again, I, I just I think they're going to be the, the you know they're just going to benefit from from the lack of of great teams in the Western Conference right now. Yeah, well said. Uh, I saw your tweet about uh, the Joker. Speaking of Denver and Embiid yeah. being front runners for MVP, putting up great numbers. Uh, tell us, you know, how set are you on that? Of course, there's a long way to go. 
yeah, I mean, we got, you know, just about halfway through the season right now, uh, just past the halfway mark. Uh, I just feel like those two guys and, you know, I look at the MVP race every year kind of like a fingerprint where it truly is a unique set of circumstances each year. You can't just say this is each and every year, this is how I vote for the MVP. And I think a big part of what's happening this year with both those guys and Bede and Joker is that, you know, with Ben Simmons being out in Philadelphia and you look at that supporting cast and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. being out in Denver and that supporting cast, and the fact that, you know, both of these teams are, I think, in sixth in their respective conference is unbelievable. And they're both, each and every night you put them on, and it's funny, lately it seems like they, you know, coincidentally the Nuggets and Sixers play on the same night a lot. You know, they're going back and forth putting up these unbelievable double-doubles uh, double or triple-doubles and, you know, willing their teams to victory and doing it in so many different ways. Like, you know, Embiid on the, obviously his scoring and rebounding, but also his ability to defend the rim. And then Jokic, his ability to, you know, he can go get 50 on a given night, but the fact that he finds ways to get like Austin Rivers involved or, you know, um, you, you know, all these different guys on, on Denver that, you know, most people have never heard of. Um, <laughs> I, I just think they're running away with it. You know, you just look at, you know, they're both among the league leaders in points and in, and, and rebounds. Um, and it's, you know, I, listen, I still think there is time. I had, I had Kevin Durant as my, my leader. Uh, for MVP when he got hurt, and obviously now he's going to miss too much time to be in the MVP conversation, you'd think. Um, I still think Giannis has an opportunity to, to get into this thing. I have him right right in that next level behind Jokic and Embiid. I think LeBron certainly is putting up filthy numbers, and he's willed the Lakers to be where they are, which, you know, you think about it, if LeBron wasn't putting up the numbers where he would be, uh, the, the Lakers would be one of the bottom four teams in the Western Conference right now. Um, and then there's, you know, a couple other guys like DeMar DeRozan, who's fallen off a little bit. And obviously Steph Curry's going to be in this conversation and John Morant. Uh, there, there's some depth to the MVP conversation this year, but in my mind, you know, just past the halfway mark of the season, uh, there are two clear front runners and it's going to be a fun race. Uh, in the second half of the year between Embiid and Jokic for the second straight year. Absolutely. And I think Steph will have something to say about it when we get uh, through the second half. Yeah. So one of the things that I really love about this new podcast, Jared, is that I get to know my guests a little bit more. And it's funny because you and I worked together for a couple of weeks on the NBA playoffs a couple of years ago. And, you know, I felt like I got to know you, but I, I want to know more. I want to know more about Jared Greenberg. So, I, you know, I know you went to Hofstra and I didn't realize until I was, you know, I was looking on LinkedIn, realizing that you did some minor league baseball there for a little while yep. in Newark, and that was sort of the start of your career in broadcasting, right? Well, I mean, it was the start, I, I guess, from a professional standpoint. Yeah, um, you know, I, I had two different stints in, in minor league baseball. Once in in high school, kind of working as a, a broadcast associate um, for for this independent minor league baseball team in Newark, New Jersey. And then when I got out of college, I went back there and worked as, in the media relations department and then as a play-by-play broadcaster for, for them. Uh, and, and man, baseball, I, I tell this to, to anybody who wants to work in sports, whether it's broadcasting or you want to work in, in sales or advertising, you want to work in the you know, uh, you know, player operations department, work in minor league baseball for, for at least a year because, you know, you get your hands dirty in every single aspect. You know, I was pulling tarp. I was <laughs> selling tickets. I was putting the, the mascot costume on, you know, I was, well, I was who's the mascot? Who, who was the mascot? Well, it was the Newark bears. So it was a so bear. You're a bear. So okay. a bear yeah. I was a bear. Yeah. 
you know, I was dancing on the dugout for during the seventh inning stretch, um, you know, doing, doing a little bit of everything. And of course, you know, being able to broadcast and, and back then the, the independent, it was the, the Atlantic league. We played a 142 game schedule. So we had the, the longest minor league schedule in the country and, you know, doing that many games, the amount of reps you get, uh, and, and, you know, the overwhelming majority of those games, you're on the air by yourself. So, you know, doing a nine inning broadcast 142 times a year, um, you, you, you learn what you're good at and what you're bad at real quickly. So you start doing some on-air work there. You're doing some play-by-play. You did some, I know you did some college basketball. Tell us how you got yeah. involved with the NBA because I think it's been about 16 years now that you've been associated with NBA TV. Wow. That's, I, mean, I, never, I didn't think about that. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, it's been <laughs> a long time. I'm, I'm freaking old. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know, back, back in uh, you know, 16 years ago, uh, NBA TV was owned and operated by the league itself, and we had a studio in Secaucus, New Jersey, which was not too far from where I was living at the time. And basically, the majority of their on-air people were all freelancers, which meant, you know, they weren't on a full-time contract. They would just bring people in for, you know, a day or two a week. And being in the New York market, they had their, their choice of, you know, dozens of all these different sports broadcasters who were located there who were looking for some additional work. And I got a call one day saying that, that they were looking not necessarily for any TV hosts, but for some people to do voiceover work doing highlights. And, um, you know, I came in one day and it was, it was funny. Um, I, I, you know, wore a suit to a job interview like you're supposed to do. And I met, met the guy and I, I won't, I won't say his name here, but the first words out of his mouth is nice suit kid, but I'll see your hopes up. You're not here to be on television. You're here to do uh, voiceover work and you're never going to be on TV here, you know, because, you know, we have, we have a high standard and we put, we put these professionals on and, uh, you know, I said, okay. And I had a little smirk and, uh, within, you know, two to three years, I, I was filling in on TV and doing stuff. And then, you know, within uh, three years of being there, uh, Turner Sports in Atlanta um, agreed to start operating and housing uh, NBA TV. So after after a couple of years, you know, there, there was a, a need for some more on-air people at NBA TV. So I uh, flew down, did some auditions, you know, spoke to spoke to some people. And eventually, 10 years ago, uh, uh, got a job offer to move down to, to Atlanta and work on NBA TV and be a part of TNT's coverage. And it's been, uh, really, I mean, like I said at the beginning of this, man, it's, you know, Turner is so first class in every way possible. It, it truly is the dream job. Um, and, you know, I love, love living in Atlanta, love working for Turner, and it's been uh, really the best decade of my life. Yeah, and when you go from being a host on NBA TV to out doing a game, tell us a little bit about the differences there and, you know, the challenges maybe and what you enjoy about both positions. I can imagine that when you're doing the NBA playoffs, let's say, on TNT, yeah. uh, any game that you're doing and every day that you're covering it, uh, there's got to be a certain energy that goes on within oh. you uh, knowing how exciting well, that is. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I love about working about at Turner is the, the options and the ability they give me to, to fill so many different roles. So, you know, whether it's, it's hosting a show in the studio or going out to do games on TNT um, or, you know, at times in, in summer league or wherever to do some play by play, it really is awesome where there's not a lot of monotony with uh, getting in a rut of doing the same job, you know, like in, in any given week at, at Turner sports, I could have, uh, 
three different roles that I, that I'm being asked to fill, which I love. Uh, but for me, you know, you, you mentioned the energy at an arena. Ever since I've been a young kid, some something, you know, and this is not cliche or uh, or hyperbole here, but when I walk into a, a basketball gym, uh, something just comes over my body. I, I just get this adrenaline rush, and it happens every single time I walk into a gym, uh, particularly, like you said, in a playoff game when there's 20,000 screaming people and there's a lot at stake and, you know, there's there's stress on you to, you know, because there's a lot of people watching. Uh, I thrive off those moments, and I love it. And, and I try and really just channel what what it would be like for me if I was sitting on the couch and what I would expect and, and want to see out of that broadcast. And I always try and keep the fan in mind of, you know, what, what can we do to best serve them as, as not only entertaining them, but informing them and, and sometimes getting out of the way, you know, and just making sure that, that the game is first and foremost uh, and, and, you know, having fun while we do it as well. But, um, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. Um, being at a game, particularly a big playoff game, you know, I would say last year was some of the biggest games I had when I was doing a, a second round series between the Bucks and the Nets and that game seven that went to overtime and Durant hit that shot and his foot was on the line and then Giannis came back and I had some big moments and the Bucks advanced to the conference finals. It was just, uh, you know, it, 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 you can't, you know, you can't replicate that type of stuff in, in the studio. But at the same time, you know, Joe, I still, I love doing studio stuff when we have the ability to bounce around to different games and keep our our finger on the pulse of what's going on in the entire league all at once. Um, those are cool moments to, for me too. Last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, when I was doing minor league baseball, I think it's such a relaxing atmosphere. You know, a lot of people don't even yeah. know who the players are, but when you get right. to cover a major league team or, you know, like in the NBA, you know, big time players, big time names, and you're first doing it. And I remember when I was with Sirius XM and I first walked into a major league clubhouse and I'm going to talk to, let's say, you know, Chipper Jones or somebody like that. The first time you do it, it's a little nerve wracking. And then it just gets easier from there, I think. How did that go for you? Because now you just seem so comfortable interviewing those top players. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, the first thing, you know, you said this earlier, like, I think we all have to recognize whether you're talking about like a big time celebrity as an actor or performer, you know, musician, or you're talking about an athlete. Um, everybody's human. Everybody is, uh, you know, they're, they're just like you and me, you know? Um, so I, I think for me, it's number one, identifying that, like, don't, don't put anybody on a pedestal, just try and go and have a conversation with somebody. And, and, you know, for me, I, I've been doing it since I've been in high school in terms of covering, you know, being in locker rooms or clubhouses. So I, I've kind of gotten adjusted to it where it's, it's not a, a big deal. But at the same time, like I said, I, I always try and think of the person sitting at home and I want to give them what they want to see or hear. So, um, you know, I, I try and just relax and enjoy the moment and, and try and do my job, you know. Yeah, well, you're doing a great job, and I Thank really you. appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll get to see each other again soon and work together in the yeah. near future. No, I always enjoy working with you, Joe. I know how passionate you are about, about sports, in particular baseball, so it's great to catch up with you both in San Francisco and, and here on, on your podcast. That's NBA on TNT reporter Jared Greenberg. Join us again next week for another edition of the Sports Virus Podcast. For now, I'm Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.